What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how about your guys Brockhampton, man? Hell yeah, dog. Great new single. 1999 Wildfire. Outcast, a Jace. Big yeah. fan. Yeah, man. It is known that you are a big Brockhampton fan. I'm slowly working my way through their catalog right now, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I wouldn't say I love them as a band yet, but I definitely like some of their songs. This song blew me away. Made me really excited to hear their upcoming project. Do they have an album release date? So Puppy was the original name of the next album. It was supposed to come out in June. Mm-hmm. Then the Amir Van stuff happened. They pushed it back. Then they debuted a song, Tanya. Yeah, Tanya on Jimmy Fallon and announced that album is now called The Best Days of Our Lives, hmm. but we have no date. So I'd expect the summer sometime, maybe next month. Yeah, this is their second single, right? They've released towards it? Correct. Yeah. First two uh, songs of 2018. Yeah, 1999 Wildfire. Like you said, Outcast of Jace. I'm really excited to see what this album's going to sound like, so I got to catch up on that. If you want to hear the song and the other songs that we really like from this year go to our playlist spotify nostalgia best of 2018 also if you support the podcast subscribe somewhere down below go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and click on all the links there support us on all the different platforms we're on we really appreciate all the feedback give us a rating review on itunes we got a couple things to get to this week we got some music we got some tv we got some movies so we're gonna we're gonna bring you a little a smattering of everything let's start with all the quadrants all the quadrants. Start with our guy Meek Mill. Yeah. Millie, our guy. Millie Rock. Well, I'm gonna call him our guy because I feel like he's everybody's guy at this point. Like mm. he's he's probably my, my feel good story of 2018 just because getting out of jail and seeing him like <laughs> running around with that smile on and going to all the Sixers games. Right. I, I like him more as I guess the personality he's been in 2018 or what yeah, what he's become memed on the internet in 2018 more than him as an artist. But he dropped this short ep only four tracks legends of the summer is this a good ep worth listening to i'm the wrong guy to ask ah. i've been out on meek for years i was tweeting hashtag mfg peaks like before the drake beef like i was already annoyed with Meek being a inconsistent rapper and just kind of doing the same thing and being really loud but i'm sympathetic to his plight like most people and <laughs> it's not that i'm hating it's the man it's just i was listening to this and i immediately start picking out the things i don't like you know so it's only four tracks right so it was a milidafia with a fucking a glorified swiss beats feature on there and i'm like oh that's funny you use the icon living jane smith line you're like 12 years old and then nice move you name the ap after the tour justin timberlake and jay-z did uh, that's fine but the thing i didn't like the most is like calling himself like the, the king of philly and like, yeah you've been running philly but let's be real uzi does way bigger numbers than you now he's the new king of philly if you're meek though you you gotta seize on this like you said him as an artist isn't really significant at this point he hasn't really dropped anything that's uh super worth noting i guess in the last couple yeah. of years wins and losses was his third album came out last year that was his, that was the most uh, was the most recent release until this new ep and i mean uh, like one song i stuff that was a kind of vintage meek song and a lot of people like the tiana taylor uh join on there but mm-hmm. overall i wasn't a big fan of it and he, it's not that he was doing this all the same stuff. I think that kind of leads into this new EP. Is he, I, he's always kind of been a storyteller. The problem was he was always very repetitive with his storytelling in the past. And now it's just like, I don't know. I just don't really care for woke meek. Like, you know, like <laughs> stay woke. And even when he references his play, like, I don't know. I just don't look to you to tell me these things. You know, it's like, I don't know. I it's just. Uh, 
I was coming off as the hater. I just I I just can't get into it at all. I, mean, I know one AM was my favorite of the four though. I think the one I liked the most was probably the first one, just because uh, I, like I said, I I like who Meek is as a meme more, and that's basically what this song is about. Is like he's kind of caught fire after this whole thing, but not really for doing anything other than being wrongfully imprisoned and getting out. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think this is really anything worth listening to if you care about music, just in terms of who Meek is at this point in time and the culture. It's important. Mm-hmm. Something that is a little bit more significant to me. And I mean, we've been talking about all these Kanye albums, Pusha T, Kanye, Kid Cudi, Tiana Taylor, Nas, had Drake drop right after that. And then Future, just what was that? Was that on the 4th of July? Just like, oh, I'm going to drop a mixtape to hold you guys over until my, uh, my official album drops later on yeah. this year. I'm like, he said that he pushed, held it back a week because he didn't want to interfere with Drake's streaming numbers. And I'm like, what you meant to say was you didn't want Drake to put, put you in the dirt with the streaming numbers, but yeah. whatever, Noble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, th- there's no way any, any rapper who has any respect for themselves is going to be like, oh, yeah, uh, I don't want to get bodied by Drake, so I'm going to wait. But man, no shame in that. Uh, Beast Mode 2, the follow-up to 2016's mm. Beast Mode. Uh, I I'm not a huge future guy. You know, he doesn't, I mean, kind of like with most rappers, I think I'm pretty critical of them. Um, it's just not my, my favorite genre. We talked about I'm much bigger rockhead, but this, I really liked this, this mixtape for a couple reasons. The, the beats were pretty simple, but they were still really interesting on it. And I think that's the thing that stood out the most was just like the use of like keys and things like that. That's Zaytoven for you. You know, it, it definitely yeah. sounded like more crafted than you'd expect from a typical I don't know where future mixtape, but uh gives Ato a lot of credit. He told the fader that they went through past two years of music over a hundred songs from various sessions and just made this mixtape from stuff they had. And it actually sounds, you know, pretty I mean some of the verses might stand out as being older than other ones, but I think it sounds pretty coherent, all things considered. I, I would I would agree. I mean, I think you can hear some of like like Dodo, for example, sounds kind of old, just like the way that, um, who is it, Young Scooter on that one? It's like <laughs> his voice is kind of, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, that one wasn't great, but overall, I thought this was really solid. Um, Future also, I mean, if you go on Twitter at all, I think you see a lot of people riding for his, like, I don't know, what, like toxic, like fighting toxic masculinity or something like that. Just the way he like picks out like his own sorrows and melancholy is kind of interesting. Some people really vibe with it. Do yeah. you though? Because I know you're not a big melancholy guy. <laughs> Shout out my dear melancholy by the weekend though. Um, yeah. So I saw the I saw the future at the Meadows last fall, and he's got enough hits. I had a great time at that, and that was before he brought Nicki Minaj. So I was very impressed with his live show. But I'm not the biggest future guy either. I think a part of that is he's a fuck ton of music. Yes. How many mixtapes do you think he has? This is his seventh commercial mixtape, but overall including Drake and the Young Thug Collapse. How many mixtapes does Future officially have? Probably 20. I guess. Yeah, this is 19th. Damn. In eight years, <laughs> nine years. It's yeah, a lot of music. Hundreds of and other plus songs. Plus he has albums. Crazy. Right. But yeah, be, I mean, Beast Mode 2, I, I mean, I think, he, like you said, he, he's very melodic with the way he like warbles around like his feelings and you know his women issues. But I think he's a little more mature on this. It wasn't as objectifying. It was more about being materialistic with his woman, I guess. I don't know. So I was kind of, I, I kind of thought it, it, it came across as what I'd hope a 34-year-old man, rich man's feelings would sound like. So I was yeah. kind of happy with that. It starts off really strong. I think Wi-Fi Lit and uh, Cuddle My Wrist I thought were awesome. Yeah. And then um, some more, I think the second to last track I really liked mm-hmm. as well. And 
you know, similar to his guest spot on uh, Blue Tint on Scorpion. You know, I think it doesn't take much for future to, you know, craft an earworm and just get into your get in, get inside. And mm. you know, on a mixtape from one producer, I think you know he can really craft something enjoyable. And I like this a lot more than I liked uh, Hendrix, which was the second of his two albums he released last February in 2017. Because Hendrix, he was just really singing basically the whole time on that one, and he's not a good singer. I don't want Hen- uh, Future to sing, but when he does his weird rapping shit, I think it works pretty good when it you know made the way beast mode 2 was made so you know i mean as a not a big future cat fan i was you know pleasantly surprised yeah and it, it, i mean for a lighter music week um we're not going to talk about jaden smith's what was it like follow-up to sire i don't even know if there's sire the electric album on igtv now <laughs> no no thank you but yeah it, it was a pleasant surprise to have something pretty good to listen to i also like when i think about it i feel like that's his most introspective and like vulnerable piece on the mm-hmm. whole thing and it kind of speaks to i think why a lot of people like future you know the the, the sad boy so to speak so mm-hmm. yeah definitely give beast mode to a listen and we'll have another future album i think before the end of the year to be talking about so well why does he like to do this he drops like a mixtape and then drops his real album right or he makes a ton of music and he gets paid so yeah. you know whatever go for it man Keep cashing them checks. Secure that bag. Been um, doing it for years. It's not like this is a brand new thing. You know, he's been yeah. big forever. He's been putting out a fuck ton of music forever. Just ride it out. <laughs> ride it out. Why don't we jump to some some TV talk? You know, the Emmy nominations are coming up this Thursday. We'll be dropping this pod Tuesday. So if you're listening to this before, this will either be predictions or if you listen to it after, it'll be what we had hoped happened. And you can check our calls on this. So why don't we just run through the big categories too? Because I mean, I don't think anyone really cares too much about the writing and directing pieces unless there's something in particular you really want to shout out well again once we hear the nominations we'll check back in and we'll actually do predictions you know in early september when the show actually happened we just kind of wanted to throw out things we were hoping to see when they announce the nominations in a few days yeah crazy we're already getting nominations it feels totally impossible that award season is around the corner somehow (laughs) all right why don't we start with supporting actor in a drama series who you got anyone that stands out to you i think there's gonna be a lot of thrones probably hands at handsmaid's tale maybe well there's no there's not going to pick a man from handmaids but i don't know the thing with thing with supporting actor is i'm not like not actually really big on this category because i feel like sterling k brown and velo Medemiglia from this is us will get nominated sterling k brown won last year i don't watch this is us are you still up on it so yeah i, I don't really really follow this one as much because i feel like sterling's gonna win again i am kind of up on it yeah i, I think i watched the majority of the past season and if i didn't watch it all i've mm-hmm. uh, i've been told about it by my my girlfriend what's mm-hmm. going on so yeah i think i think this is a lock probably for sterling king brown but it's kind of crazy that he's not going to be nominated for the lead supporting you don't think he'll be nominated for the lead actor in a drama series oh Oh yeah, no, he would be a lead uh, supporting. Yeah. So supporting, actually, the the category, the guy I'm rooting for, I don't think is supporting actor. I think he's a co lead. But Brian Harry Henry from uh, Atlanta, yeah. they probably have him in the comedy. So you know, I don't know. But mm-hmm. Atlanta and Barry to me, what the dramedies like? They're probably in comedy categories because it's easy for them to win. But yeah. I would call them dramas. But whatever, Henry probably won't even be there. But I don't know. Who do you have for supporting actor and drama then? Because like I feel like it's it's kind of weaker. Well, it's interesting because this year we got Westworld and game of thrones going up against each other right so then it kind of mm-hmm. becomes who's a supporting actor in thrones who's a supporting actor in westworld i mean hopkins is probably gonna be nominated for westworld jeffrey, jeffrey wright would right. be in the, the lead I, I would imagine because he's in most of the mm-hmm. gets most of their time i mean it's yeah, hard it, it all depends on how they apply for the award we're not usually not privy to that until after the fact yeah you know i think if anything i'd probably go for um david harbour 
Sure. For Stranger Things, even though Stranger Things had a down season, I still think he was really solid. And it's almost kind of like giving him a little shout out for being a breakout from the first Stranger Things season in a way. Mm-hmm. I think he's been really solid. Um, I mean, no one else really totally stands out to me. This, I mean, maybe Noah Emmerich from the Americans, you know? Sure. Uh, I think that's actually a good bet. Last season, uh, they've been getting more nominations as the show has gone on, even though they haven't really won anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't happen, but I'd love to see Christian Slater for Mr. Robot. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, I wonder if Franco, I mean, I know that's going to be the, um, uh, obviously like a short end or a mini series, but, um, I wonder if he'll get a nomination for a leading role or a supporting role. I'm probably a leading. For the deuce. Imagine. Yeah. For the deuce. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, even like Donald Glover will be nominated for lead comedy actor, but he's not in every episode. Right. And like I said, he he's not. If anything, I think Brian Tyree Henry's in more of the season. But just mm-hmm. the way they they build it, the way they apply for the award. So yeah, you know, category fraud. <laughs> yeah, and I, I almost feel like the. I mean, there's there's no Veep this year, which helps in yeah. a lot of like the writing categories and even some of like the supporting actor in a comedy. Um, but I feel like a lot of those are, you pretty much know who's going to be there. Um, a lot of Barry, there's going to be a lot of Atlanta pretty much for everything. And then, I don't know, maybe Arrested Development, but I can't really imagine with the, Yeah, and, and that's another thing too, with their Jeffrey Tambor stuff and also yeah. kind of a mute reception to the fifth season. Will Jason Bateman maybe sneak in there? I don't think Will Arnett or Tony Hale have as much steam, maybe Bateman, uh, Jessica Walter on, on the female end. You know, that's kind of a fringe show where you don't really know because you'd think in theory Arrested Development coming back yet again, hopefully a better season, way more known now than it ever was before. This is their time to get some Emmy attention, but don't think it's in the cards. But comedy supporting actor, I think is fucking stacked. There's going to be good actors not nominated. Like Brian Tyree Henry, as we said, Henry Winkler from Barry should be there. Tony Shalhoub from Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, I'm pretty sure is there. Uh, yep. Maisel cleaned up at the Globes, should do really well at the Emmys. Mark Maron from Glow, good chance. Alec Baldwin from SNL probably will be there. Lakeith Stanfield outside chance as well. One of the Silicon Valley guys. I'd really love to see Zach Woods get nominated. Yeah, he's definitely the best part of that season. It's it's interesting because I feel like this is probably the year that Silicon Valley will get its most nominations with Veep not really being there. Right. But the same HBO time, pushing for it. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's like the least deserving at this point for these sure. nominations. Heck, I, I'd love to see Anthony Kerrigan from uh, Barry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, Hank. You know, outside chance, but that would be awesome because he's he's really resonated with everyone who watched Barry, and that's like the kind of oh, you know, yeah. lesser known actor who's been around a little while. Mm-hmm. But you know that that'd be a great look, you know, versus Definitely. giving it to Alec Baldwin again. You know, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. But I mean, they they love to give SNL some uh, some love. Um, <laughs> what other categories are, are you looking at in terms of places where you want people to to get in, or you hope someone doesn't win or doesn't get a nomination? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think comedy actress is again a little boring. Like Rachel Brosnahan is probably the favorite. She'll be there. Tracy Ellis Ross from Blackish, Allison Janney from Mom, Allison Brie from Glow. That's all yep. pretty safe, right? But that last spot, Definitely. like I'd love to see Issa Rae from Insecure get there because mm. again, this is without Julie Louis Dreyfus automatically getting a spot. So right. you know, oh, someone you else automatically gets to actually win for yeah. yeah. Someone else gets to actually win for once. Last mm-hmm. year, Thrones wasn't in the mix. This year, it's Veep. So right. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's kind of what I like most when like shows are out of out of the out of the out of the loop is just someone else getting a chance, you know, when there's that that category that just you already know who's going to win usually. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm kind of looking at like a similar thing for outstanding lead actress um, in a series. You know, I, Elizabeth Moss is there. 
but I would really love to see Kerry Russell get some some shine. I mean, yeah. I mean, the Americans has been kind of getting like the, the what's it, the Mad Men treatment where they were growing up against Breaking Bad every year, so they weren't really winning anything. Right. Um, yeah. But it, it's so deserving of getting some recognition and especially Carrie Russell. I mean, Matthew Reese is great in that show, but Carrie Russell, I feel like was sure. really the heart and soul for the last like couple seasons. Um, and she just got announced to be in a star Wars movie coming up, which is yeah. In talks for episode nine, which is exciting right. for sure. Good look for her. But I mean, yeah, yeah that... stack one because Elizabeth mm -hmm. Moss won last year, Claire Foy for the crown, very yeah. popular. And Evan Rachel Wood will is assumingly get the HBO push for Westworld. And then I think the, the critics choice would be Sandra Oh from Killing Eve, a show we haven't watched yet, but gets total acclaim and heck Thrones is back. So Amelia Clark, Lena Headey, one of them, not both are probably there. Viola Davis for yep. murder. I mean, with murder. Yeah. It's a crazy, yeah, crazy category. I mean, it, there's, you can get seven nominations for outstanding drama. What, what would you want to see in that category? I think we, we pretty much know Handmaid's Tale is going to be in there. Game of Thrones can be in there. This is us, the Americans. But I think after that, it's kind of wide open. Yeah. Um, I think the crowd is a safe bet as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, but then, you know, I feel like Stranger Things will get nominated again, but I don't think it mm. should. I'd much prefer like a Mindhunter in there. Mm. Americans, like you said. The Ro Mr. Robot. I think Mr. Robot season three is deserving. Yeah. Legion season two, probably not as much given the competition. That's the thing about The Deuce. The Deuce is coming back for a second season, but was it considered a limited series? We don't know right. that yet, right? Mm. The Deuce, I would love to see The Deuce get nominated. I think that's very deserving. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, has stiff, stiff competition for drama actress mm -hmm. or supporting actress, but she's very deserving as well. It's weird how like they, they categorize limited series now because Big Little Lies cleaned up last year as a limited series and then got right. a season two, you know? Mm -hmm. And then Fargo and American Horror Story, they're anthology shows that have future seasons, but because they're anthologies, they get away with it. You know, it's, again, the category fraud stuff. So, um, I mean... <laughs> You know, when you go to was the TV movie category where like Black Mirror episodes get nominated, and now we're going to go up against The Tale, which was just right. a straight up movie that HBO bought and made a TV mm -hmm. movie. You know, and Laura Dern's going to fucking win that, you know, no yeah. doubt. So, yeah. um, on a limited series front, though, I really want Twin Peaks The Return from last year mm -hmm. on Showtime to get That'd nominated. I think Kyle, Kyle McElhan deserves it, and then the show itself, uh, because yeah. in the limited series, Boat, I think, has a great chance. Um, but also for TV and movie, like, is Paternal going to get nominated? Fahrenheit 451? Don't know if we need those, you know? I know. They're, they're going to get stuff the, to look out for. Yeah, they're going to get, like, the, I don't know, just to fill out the category nominations. It's going to be, <laughs> HBO's going to be like, we had three movies, TV movies. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> like, eh. <laughs> Did you, though? Um, hmm. Any other categories what? that you're looking at or anyone else? Uh, one other thing I was thinking about, um, Bill Hader, like we said for Barry, he's probably getting yeah. nominated for comedy actor against Don Glover and mm -hmm. Anthony Anderson. And uh, yeah. I guess Larry David will be in the mix as well. Um, Curb, Curb season was season nine. I yeah. don't think anyone's that enthusiastic about it, but it'll probably get some attention. Um, and even, oh, and uh, Godless last year, the Netflix miniseries, Jeff Daniels will probably get nominated for that uh, mm -hmm. limited series boat. So, um, oh, and we've heard the, the Good Place. I don't think some of the odds makers on Gold Derby didn't have the good place in the mix, but I mean, I feel like that sounds like a lock in terms of the comedy front. That's one of the most popular and well-received comedies we have. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's there's so much good TV. I mean, I know we're kind of mm -hmm. uh, in like the post phase of, of peak TV, but it's still pretty peak. I mean, it, last year we, sure. we didn't have Thrones present. This year we don't have Beat present, but 
it, it's almost kind of nice because you get to give these other ones some shine. I think the only other thing I wanted to shout out before we wrap up is um, I really, I really hope Mindhunter gets some love yeah. here. I mean, uh, I know it's probably one of the least watched shows out of the ones that will be nominated. I mean, it's, it's on Netflix, not cable, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think I hope for at least one of the uh, episodes. I mean, especially the last one, I think. Yeah, it's I just this just reminds me of when HBO put all their cards behind Westworld season one and said leftovers, mm-hmm. and now Netflix is gonna pick Stranger Things over Mindhunter because it's a more popular show. You know, sounds like yeah. a show that's gonna get the shaft, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, we didn't even talk about like Billions, which has a lot of love. We didn't talk about J.K. Sure. Simmons for Counterpart, which was yeah, a huge I, show being the year. I think at least J.K. will get nominated for sure. It's a stack category. I mean, that probably means mm-hmm. what Lee Schreiber's not getting nominated for Ray Donovan, which always that's okay. We're good with that. I mean, it's okay, <laughs> but it, it, he always gets in there somehow. So, um, also, there's been a lot of talk about the the kid from The Good Doctor, Freddie Highmore, getting yeah. a nomination. I'm like, see, I feel like broadcast. We ha- you have this is us actually winning awards and right. the Good Place deserving of said awards. We don't need to th- give another populist award to pick the critical shows. It's okay. Yeah. I, I agree. But people like that show. Tweet at us with your hopes for Emmy noms at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter, at Martin Swagger, and at She New World Peace. We'll be probably giving some reactions as they come out on Thursday, and we'll definitely be talking about it next. Why don't we move on to a show that we, we mentioned that will almost definitely get at least one Emmy nom, probably multiple. Glow, season two. Season one will be nominated. Season two will probably be nominated next year. We reviewed season one a year ago when it came out. It was one of the most surprising shows of the year allison brie was a well-known person mark maron a well-known person but other than that betty gilpin i guess was somewhat well-known but the rest of the cast is relatively unknown and it came out of nowhere to be one of like the sweetheart shows of the year last year season two came back uh, a year later and i don't think they really lost a step on this show um and i think actually one of the things I like most about this is I was kind of weary about how do they continue to make this show? How do they continue to push this show for multiple seasons? Or was this going to be a show that's just maybe two and done, three and done, like a short uh, like run of, of a story? Sure. I think they've done some really smart writing and gotten creative with some of the storylines to really mm-hmm. expand the show and give it a lot more you know rope to work with. And that's probably the thing I've liked most, but what's your reaction to season two? Yeah, I mean, season one, you meet this incredibly stacked ensemble of characters mm-hmm. again most act- actresses we aren't familiar with right. and season two and i actually like get to know these characters and right. you know not only i th- well i think allison brie as the star ruth i think ruth is fucking incredibly well written throughout mm-hmm. all of season two and allison brie like, gives a great performance given you know the character she's playing but the rest of the the ensemble like all gets more and more of their moments in a more meaningful way. Like whether it's like Carmen or welfare queen or Britannica, Beirut, any of these characters that you wouldn't remember too much of what, what they did in season one. You just kind of remember what they look like. Even you know, Bash. Like, all, all, yeah, yeah, exactly. In Bash too. And um, heck, even the father daughter dynamics between uh, fucking Justine. Sam and Justine, yep. like there's, there's so much of it. And, it's a show that is not really about the wrestling. It's just about relationships and it's mm-hmm. really more of a dramedy than a straight up comedy, given the, given what the story, how the storylines go. 
But yeah, you know, I was very impressed with season two. I think it's uh, a step up, actually. I, I think it definitely moved to like a deeper, a deeper meaning with the show. I mean, you always had like the the human side of it. You talk about Ruth getting an abortion in season one, um, mm-hmm. how people handle that. You talk Ruth and Debbie. You know, their their conflict and issue. And it's actually a really smart setup because you have human beings going through conflict and, and just issues in their life, but then they're put in this situation where they're doing these fake conflicts and kind of have to be do it, you know, in conflict in a way all the time. I also really, I really liked how they kind of built Marin's character this season. And I felt like Sam is probably the character for me. I mean, like you said, Ruth is so well written, but Sam is probably the most human and relatable to me so far. I mean, also probably being a man, that's, that's the case. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for women, it's a little different, but just seeing the way he, handles his relationship with ruth and where that's going i mean i haven't finished the season yet but we're, i'm on episode nine at this point so i think i have one more mm-hmm. after to go but um just really really brilliant like i said bash like they, they did so much about his backstory with just like little scenes he i mean probably like five to ten minutes of the whole season devoted to really developing who he was right but i think yeah. they did it really effectively yeah, bash like this like rich guy that's kind of how he's introduced it's like this rich mm-hmm. benefactor but there's a lot more to him once he you know it goes and gets developed and you haven't seen it yet but more stuff will happen to bash at the very end of the season interesting looking forward to that um any other standouts from this season or any like uh, characters or moments that really stood out to you yeah i thought episode eight was my standout episode of the season mm-hmm. really reminded me of uh an episode from atlanta season one ban that was the episode where uh, had all those like commercials within the episode. Public access. Like, really, um, right. And uh, I believe that's where uh, Paperboy was. He was on having that argument on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like intersected with all that, all those commercials. And uh, Good Twin is the name of it. Episode yeah, eight, Glow twin. Season Two. And that's where like it is. It, it doesn't even get intro. Just kind of presented as just like an like an episode of these really corny sketches mm-hmm. uh, that all the Glow cast members are, um, you know, performing in. And then they parody the "We Are the World" uh, song with the, the kidnapping thing at the end, and I just thought it was just really, really smart. And that's definitely my favorite episode of the season. But like, it just immediately brought me back to Atlanta. I was like, wow, this is like, like an and it actually kind of brings me memories of the Alf episode from Mr. Robot as well, where mm-hmm. it's like it's like out there, um, totally like out of the blue, doesn't fit the rest of the show thing, yeah. but actually does fit the rest of the show. You didn't expect it, you know. So I was a big fan of that. Yeah, I always like when, you know, we talked about Legion. I was kind of thinking about this, like why we enjoy a show, an episode like The Good Twin and why sometimes things in Legion become a little bit too much. And I think it's when when weirdness is used in a way to like move the show forward. And it's not just like the, the center of the show is is how weird sure. you get. It can really add an element. Um, and they do that great with that episode. I, that was one of my standouts as well. I also really liked the episode Viking Funeral, which was the first one of the season, just because it, it kind of, I mean, it set up a lot of things for the season, just in terms of conflict and, and movement of the characters, like Ruth being a, you know, moving behind the camera and being a creative mind for the show, but just kind of getting to see them like have fun and not be weighed down by their, you know, the different issues in all their lives. Um, also mother of all matches, which kind of put, uh, welfare queen and yeah. liberty bell great stuff uh, pitted against each other but the, the parallel dynamics about where they're at in terms of being mothers was really really interesting uh, i'm looking forward to finishing it up also the soundtrack this season really really liked it i'm uh, mm-hmm. gonna definitely follow that on spotify to get yeah. some more of that good good shout out music. the 80s yeah 80s really having a resurgence the last couple of years i don't hate it oh, yeah. definitely they're in 80s are in as fuck and, 
<laughs> Any other thoughts about the season? Yeah, Netflix is giving a big push right now, but yeah. I think it's uh, uh, this is currently I think my fourth fourth best show of the year, third best show. I have it very high up right now. I was yeah. very happy with it. I also really like the addition of Junk Chain, Yolanda Rivas. Yeah, I, th- I thought yeah. she was great, and it added another dimension to the show having a character that wasn't straight, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. While we jump to a show, you know, we talked about Glow. Definitely going to be nominated this year, season one for the Emmys. A show that we expect to be nominated for a short miniseries next year is Sharp Objects, featuring Amy Adams on HBO. Jean-Marc Vallée, director of Dallas Buyers Club, which I believe won the Academy Award for Best Picture, right? At least with... No, but Matthew McConaughey won Best Actor. That's what it was. And so did uh, Jared Leto. Right. Oh, man. Jared Leto before he was the Joker. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So Sharp Objects premiered last night. Got a lot of buzz. It's going to be eight episodes. Um, and you know, it has Amy Adams in it. It also has Patricia Clarkson, Chris Messina, who you would see would know from, um, the newsroom and, uh, Eliza Scanlon, uh, who plays the younger sister, um, right. on the show. This was probably one of the first pilots in a long, or I don't even know if it's pilot, but first episodes in a long time that really yeah. draws you in and just kind sure. of, uh, makes you hooked to a show i mean like i really want to see the second episode to uncover more of what's going on uh, and i think that you know at least for me they did a really good job because it, they're setting up a lot of backstory in the first episode about something happened to amy adams as she returns to her hometown to write about these murders that have been happening to young girls over the last two years um and that there she experienced a lot of trauma uh yeah. in her past and how that affects Demons. her relationships and I think they do a really good job of mixing in the current mystery with the past mystery in a way that's really effective. And it's obviously going to kind of force Amy Adams to reflect on her own uh, issues and how it plays out. Um, mm-hmm. What did you like about the first episode? Cause I saw you tweeting about it last night. Yeah. I mean like those quick, like instantaneous flashbacks, like you said, mm-hmm. I think are really, really effective. They're actually quite engaging, but you know, it's kind of like peeling back the layers of what, you know, is going on with uh, Amy Adams character. And, you know, like you said, I don't think it's a pilot. It, it probably wasn't a pilot because this is just, it was probably a straight to series, uh, mini series. Cause this is adapted off of a Gillian oh, Flynn novel. And she yeah. wrote uh, gone girl, of course. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know what happens, I'm sure we could find out, but I'm not going to spoil it for myself, but I'm very excited because like, I don't know, this kind of, this kind of like hooks, this first episode kind of hooked me with the night of hooked me similar, another yeah. HBO show that I really loved. And, Jean-Marc Vallée, who did Big Little Lies after Dallas Buyers mm. Club, and he, you know, I think he this is a big step up with his camera. Like, it really moved around, like, pivoted um, some of the scenes, like, in, in the houses, but also just with the flashbacks, with the close-ups on Amy Adams, because she's, like, a troubled um, character that has her issues. She's an alcoholic. He's a cutter, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think it's, it's really effective. It's intentionally shot, like, a hazy way, because that's how her character usually uh, is feeling. Yeah. And... Um, Patricia Clarkson immediately is like the most grating, like Southern Belle matriarch ever. You know, yeah. it's like so fucking effective. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this is this is a cool show because uh, Amy Adams is an executive producer on the way. Um, same way Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman were EPs for Big Little Lies. And you know, this is a lot like, and this is kind of like the like the prestige of peak TV now, where like big. A-listers can come do a short commitment, and yes, Big Little Lies got a season two, but that's why they wanted to make it. But like the appeal of this is that Amy Adams did not have to commit to you know twenty episode season. This is us, you know, right. and 
we have shows with Julia Roberts coming down the pipe. You know, George Clooney has a show at Hulu. Like these kind of mm-hmm. uh, high profile A A double A listers going to TV. It's just really exciting, especially when it's a acclaimed novel from a guy who's already knocked it out of the park with HBO once already. Mm-hmm. And with Amy Adams, you know, so I'm I'm just really stoked about it. But um, I think it's just the, the pilot is like really uniquely made to like grab you, and it's not just a small town murder mystery or a crime thriller. Like I feel like that's kind of like a superficial way to talk about this show, you know, given yeah. what we saw in the first episode. So I'm all the way in. Yeah, me too. And you know, it came out this week that HBO wanted what was it a new direction or they're going new direction? Um, yeah. It was right. just because, so like with AT&T, Warner acquisition approved, HBO has new overseers. And the way, I forget the names of the guys, but the head of HBO was talking to the head of the new Warner Media people. And it's like, we're profitable. And he's like, yes, you are. But you need to be more profitable. And basically, it sounds like they just want to compete with Netflix by having more stuff to attract more subscribers. And it sounds like they want to get away from the HBO owned one night of your week. Now, no, no. Now we got to own multiple nights because Netflix owns every waking moment now, you know? Right. And the, the struggle, of course, is HBO has always been about quality. Netflix does not give a fuck about quality. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting to see play out where, you know, how an HBO can operate because I think, you know, making more and more sharp objects, I don't know if that's in their budget because they're expensive to pay people like Amy Adams to be on the show. So, I don't know how drastic this will be, but in the meantime, H-Sharp Objects is a classic HBO joint, so I'm excited. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and I think it's a smart strategy. It seems like <clears throat> they've gotten some really good properties, uh, you know, IP to work off of, but they've also pretty much told like Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, people like that, that if you mm-hmm. want to have input on this, like we would love that. And like you can have direction and it gets buy-in from these people. They don't want to be coming in. They're already established. They don't need to be doing TV. But right. if they want to be doing a project like this, having input is really smart. And I think that's probably how you move towards, you know, a bigger, you know, being more profitable as you get the names and then you let them make quality content while also having a show like Secession, which we'll talk about where, I mean, the the budget for that is probably pretty high. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they don't have any, like, A-listers on that, like, a show like right. this. So not as expensive probably sure. um we'll definitely be talking about sharp objects if uh if an episode really feels you know feels like it needs to be talked about or at the end of the season as a wrap-up any last thoughts before we move on very enthusiastic about it as well just limited series with an a-lister mm-hmm. people like me and you tv people it sells yeah, itself definitely about that it's also really good should bring everyone in absolutely absolutely so definitely watch it if you have hbo tweet at us about it all right ant-man and the wasp First movie since Infinity War for Marvel. Uh, oh, so long. Wait. No, it's, it's been a while. Um, Peyton Reed back behind the camera. Uh, he mm-hmm. did the first Ant-Man, also known for Bring It On. But, I mean, it's kind of funny that those are like the two biggest movies I think he's probably known for at this point. Well, it, Peyton Reed's actually very interesting to me because he's one of the prime examples of a younger uh less well-known director really known for smaller movies right getting handed the blockbuster and actually succeeding and thriving Definitely. you know people will point to josh trank and uh, colin trevorrow as the mm-hmm. opposite of that so right marvel really lucked out pay and read because and i think 
with A-Man the Wasp, this is the first one he had to make without you know any real input from Edgar Wright. Remember, he was originally mm-hmm. attached to the first one, and Peyton Reed came in. It's really unclear how much of the movie was Peyton Reed's, for at least story wise. You know, so this one's one hundred percent him, and um, I'm happy for him because I think it uh, worked out pretty well. No, I, I agree. I mean, first A-Man was the lowest grossing Marvel movie um, to date, and then this one did pretty well. I mean, it's made seventy six million domestically 161 million worldwide sitting at 86 percent rotten tomatoes um and i think i think that seems about the right number i think this was a good film i think there were a lot of really great parts about it i think there were also some you know some things that they could have done better um, but overall really enjoyable movie i think the, the thing that stood out to me was infinity war was so big i mean yeah. we talked about how they had so much to do and then the follow-up movie is this really really small story that's basically about like oh my mom is gone you're on house arrest but we need you to help find my mom yeah. and then there's all these like bad guys that come along through it yeah it's it's so it succeeds because of its lighter tone because exactly. the stakes are so low you yeah. know and that that's great and i mean this movie made almost 20 million more in its opening weekend people are responding to it and we're more excited to see it and you know i think when people you know criticize either ant-man film um you always kind of have to push back and like bro it's (laughs) ant-man do you know any ant-man villains right do you think of any deep profound story with tons of growth for ant-man no it's a comedy by Mm -hmm. choice and while I think Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't as strong of a sequel as, say, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a lot more like character growth and more personal moments in that one. I still think Ant-Man and the Wasp is just, you know, it's, it's a hoot. It's just a good time. And right. um, I actually think there's a lot of stuff that it, it improved on uh, the second go around. But yeah, so you, you said that there's some things that didn't work so well for you. What were those? Yeah, well, I think Ghost as a villain was, I mean, I guess she wasn't, totally villain i guess you'd probably say walton goggins was the villain in this but Mm. i mean the thing with ghosts i get that she's really angry about everything that's happened and her belief of what happened with her dad but at the same time it's like her motivation is i don't want to feel this way anymore i'm in a lot of pain i don't want to die help me out but what she does keeps pushing that further away and it's almost like if if they had thought about it them working together to like stop walton goggins and just go find the janet so that they could figure everything out would have made Mm -hmm. this whole story irrelevant so that that to me is kind of like eh all right but i I can put that aside for sake of a story i mean i'm not really here to to nitpick the plot um i I also thought well i thought walton goggins was great in this like not really that great of a villain i was never really worried about him because he didn't have any powers like no comic relief really yeah exactly so i I didn't really i didn't feel like there was a really great villain in this it was also just a lot going on like there was scott had his conflict with you know having to be home not get caught by Wu. uh Mm -hmm. you know um, i'm forgetting her name eventually lily's hope um i mean she had a million different things trying to deal with stuff with her dad find her mom deal with stuff with scott i mean just a lot going on i felt like at times it was a bit much, but I actually think they did a pretty good job of sewing everything back together sure. by the end. Um, did you have any problems with it that stood out to you? Uh, so yeah, it's thinking about the villains. I've actually liked these villains more. I think that's probably just because the first Ant-Man, uh, Yellow Jacket, well, I like Corey Stoll a lot. He's one of the weaker villains in the whole MCU. So the fact that the new villain, go- primary villain Ghost, at least had like a acceptable motivation and they can right. understand it at least. Um, 
granted it's not if he's a killmonger where she's actually really fleshed out i've said it's not the case at all yeah. but i also can i expect a killmonger for ant-man probably not so <laughs> i thought it was good enough for me the thing actually didn't work quite as well for me this time and i think i'm probably in the minority with this is i didn't laugh as much this time i thought oh, the humor was a lot better in the first one um i'm not really sure why that is i i definitely laughed more at michael pena in the first one i think mm. luis is hilarious um yeah. perhaps borderline stereotypical but um like his storytelling thing when you know with the lip syncing thought that was freaking amazing the first time around but when they did a callback which i liked i don't know i just i didn't quite laugh as much with all the XCOM stuff mm-hmm. um, despite the movie still being fun and slapstick which is why i like it but i think in terms of the laugh out loud moments it didn't have as many for me anyway mm-hmm. how'd you feel about the humor yeah you know it's interesting i, I think i probably laughed more at the second one and I almost feel like I laughed a lot at Bobby Cannavale, which he wasn't that type of character at all in the first one. And no, the he was the antagonist. One, yeah, in the second one, he gets to kind of be this like big softy who's like very caring and like nurturing towards Scott, and they have this amicable relationship. Um, I thought he was great, like playing with uh, playing alongside his wife in in the movie. Like, yeah, he would say that didn't get enough scenes, honestly. Yeah, and he would be like, "Ah, oh, actually, uh, actually." <laughs> That should do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I thought, I mean, I think they're both pretty funny and they bring a lot of levity right. to movies that are v- usually very serious. Right. And Randall Park all, with a great addition. Um, being like a third antagonist, I guess. Um, but he was funny when he was on screen. So it's it's good enough for me. Uh, but the thing I like about these the two Ant Man movies, as far as Ant Man in general, he's in Civil War as well, is that I, I just really like Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. I like that they went with Scott Lang, the second Ant Man. Um, yeah. Obviously, Michael Douglas plays Hank Pym, and I think he might be a little wooden in, in these movies. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if like, his his performance isn't amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. to being a world class actor, but because like we have the, like lived in history with all the Ant Man uh, mythos, you know, the, mm-hmm. and even Lawrence Fisher comes in as Goliath, just more like you know backstory that we're not going to see. But like I don't know, I just I think it's cool, and because they've already committed to. Um, not having Hank Pym in the Avengers because in the comics, Ultron is created by Hank Pym, not Tony Stark, the way it happened in the movie. So, considering like they already like put Hank Pym to the sidelines, have it be Scott Lang. He's way more funny, right. you know. And Paul Rudd, um, it's funny. Like Paul isn't Paul Rudd like forty nine? He had some fucking rock star, rock solid abs in that gratuitous shot. Yeah, uh, but he, he's hilarious the whole movie. Like no, he, he hasn't. Looks the, like he's like Rob same. Lowe. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Actually, I saw Rob Lowe on like an infomercial today, and I was like, God damn, Rob Lowe looks good, man. Like <laughs> when, when they when they finally do that West Wing reboot and Sam's the president, like he's gonna be perfect for it. That'd so. be fire. Can't wait for that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's actually interesting. I was thinking Michael Douglas. I didn't think was that great. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, I thought was uh, a good, a really good get for the movie, and apparently that's sure. the only. Barely in it. <laughs> yeah, it's the only person Peyton Reed really thought of to play the role which i also was like kind of surprised that i feel like you could have gotten a lesser known actress to play the role sure. and been fine um i also really liked the stuff with the the quantum realm and i wish they could they wish they had done more with that but it's also probably pretty tough because it not only involves a lot of cgi which i don't think necessarily budget was the issue but it's just also you have to create this whole other dimension and yeah. put a lot into it and i don't know yeah. And the future of the quantum realm in the MCU, I think, is really interesting to me just because it feels, at least visually, Doctor Strange adjacent. Mm-hmm. But also, like, people are theorizing the quantum realm will play into how Infinity War gets resolved next year, you know? And now with the post credit scene, uh, spoilers, obviously, but we know that he's actually stuck there. Um, mm-hmm. 
people are theorizing maybe Captain Marvel and Ant-Man would help them together or something, help everyone together. But the quantum realm will be back somehow. So maybe they don't want to like blow their load and go too deep on it in the second one. Um, considering it's almost like tertiary to the actual, like, you know, a plot of the film, like they're trying yeah. to get to the quantum realm. We don't actually need to do much in it. We have to get someone out of it. So, <laughs> and that's interesting, but you know, we don't, despite the movie being really slapstick and comedic, I think the action is actually really strong just because it's like so fluid and it's just yeah. really cool seeing them go big, go small, and then having car chases fit into that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, similar yeah. to Incredibles, too, a movie that just really flows and works whenever there's any action. I really was impressed with all the scenes. I, I had the same same thought. Even watch, rewatching the first one before this, I was like, man, just like the whole concept of like going big, disappearing, and like, like coming back is just so cool in a fight for some reason. Really like solid to watch on screen. Um, you know, one, one scene I wanted to shout out, I forgot to mention this when we talked about the funny scenes and maybe we can kind of wrap up just talking about like our, our favorite parts of it. I really liked the scene in the school when he gets kind of stuck as like child size for some reason yeah. that really just made me laugh a lot. Um, and I felt like that really got to show off the relationship between Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she was great kind of being the yeah. co-lead um, for sure. She didn't get enough work in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, I think that's deservedly because Wasp is more competent, yep. <laughs> more able and smarter mm-hmm. than Scott Lang in basically every way. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, like a F the patriarchy move, but like it's deserved, you know? Yeah. So I'm happy that she got more shine, that she got a suit this time around, you know, she's not rocking the dumb wig from the first one. Yeah. Except in that one scene. So uh, yeah, more, more Evangeline Lily and Ant-Man and Avengers movies because she's great. As a role. Um, any any last thoughts as we kind of wrap up for today? Either Ant Man or anything we talked about. You know what really stood out to me was the San Francisco shots. Not all yeah. the movie was shot there, but you know, I looked it up. Some stuff was not shot in Atlanta, like most Marvel movies. But you know, when you're in San Francisco, in terms, you know, the, the elevation of you know, the hills of SF, and mm-hmm. obviously the shots of the bay. And man, is that refreshing considering the Atlanta aesthetic of Marvel is <laughs> pretty generic. Yep. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, at the end when they, you know, before the the final after credit scene, which was really nothing, but also just kind of a funny callback with the ant, the big ant playing the drums. Um, I I liked that I said like thanks to Atlanta, then I said thanks to San Francisco, and I was like hell yeah! Like I, it was so <laughs> fun to watch the car chases where they were like jumping through the hills and stuff, just really cool. So um, some really some really refreshing stuff in ant-man and the wasp i really recommend you see especially if you're a superhero fan you kind of have to yeah um how do you think this would play out for non-marvel fans because you know to be critical there's not like really much like growth the way there is in guardians mm-hmm. guardians 2 you know i think it's very much a sequel very much a marvel movie um and very fun in its own right but how do you think this would go over with non-fans because well, you know i'm seeing some negativity yeah. in that regard Interesting. I, I would I would suspect that if you were a non-Marvel fan and you're watching the sequel to Ant-Man, <laughs> you must like something about the first one. And this one doesn't really do too much that the first one doesn't. Right. So I, I would suspect you would probably enjoy it, but I could see you being like, eh, they didn't, the characters didn't grow enough for me. I, mm-hmm. I feel like, like that's not the case with a couple of them. Like Evangeline Lilly, I thought Hope really sure. grew in ways, got to really take on a stronger part uh, kind of just by... The, the narration or the by the the mechanics of the plot um but yeah i, I guess i could see that's a fair criticism but i don't know it's ant-man like yeah <laughs> relax <laughs> yeah. 
it's kind of like if we went with Suicide Squad 2, I'm not going to be like looking for Harley Quinn to be turning over a new leaf. I know what I'm getting there. So, right. Plus, we just got Black Panther for Ryan Coogler. Like, right. relax, buddy. It's okay. Exactly. <laughs> I think one of these weeks, if it slows down enough where we have a light week, we should probably do our like some shout outs for best of the year so far. Maybe things we haven't mm-hmm. gotten to, some movies, and some quick lists, something like that. Um, so be, be looking out for that in the coming weeks. I'm sure you probably have your movie list down to a science. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does this fall? 31? Oh, well, I, that's total. Uh, I oh. think I have him in the last like 15, 12 to 15 range, something yeah. like that. It's, it's, it's right. pretty close to anymore, honestly. Um, so such, they're such vastly different films. Um, but yeah, I was very happy with this, and you know now we get a um, a nice break from MCU. Ne- Captain yep. Marvel doesn't come out till March. Um, we have Aquaman in December, and then not that like that's the only major superhero movie left for the year. Um, and we don't have Star Wars until December of next year. So nice little respite mm-hmm. from uh, all these big films, you know. Yeah, don't don't complain to us about superhero fatigue anymore. Okay. <laughs> they all that we don't have to get in super fear fatigue. I have, I have a I have a big take on that, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> Next <I'm> really, week, <laughs> I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing. Uh, sorry to bother you. I think I'm going to go Thursday. Fuck. Yes, dude. I'm hearing really yeah. great things about that. It, it also cleaned up. It was only in like less than twenty theaters. It made like forty four thousand per. So people are excited about it. Reviews are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really happy for Lakeith Stanfield getting this look. Yep. And of course, Queen Tessa Thompson. So we'll talk all about that next week. That's the most anticipated thing coming up. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, we'll probably t- touch on some what TV, movies, music. There'll be something. Yeah, uh, there's like, stuff. We got me, stuff. Don't worry about the stuff. Don't worry about the stuff. Follow at Nostalgia Pod for the stuff. Yeah. Um, and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod to follow the pod any way that you want to share us with friends, leave a reading review on iTunes. We appreciate all of it. Uh, Dave, any last thoughts for the people go listen to 1999 wildfire. What else? World's best grandma. (laughs) Peace out.